What is going on, everyone? It's your guy, Cole Jackson, back with another episode of the Two Guys Watching Football Training Camp Preview Series for your Baltimore Ravens. If you're enjoying this series, do me a favor, click that like button right now. And if you want to find your way back for more, click the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode drop. Today, we are joined by recurring guest, friend of the program, friend from across the pond. It is James Ogden of Red Star Baltimore and the Russell Street Report. James, my guy, how is it going? Things are good, Cole. Thanks, thanks for having me on again. Absolutely, and you're recovering from yesterday's uh, yesterday's loss. As everyone knows, James is British, and we had a bit of a bit of an L for Team England in the uh, in the Euro Cup final. Yeah, it was wasn't great last night, um, but I, I suspect uh, we'll be back. I think we'll be back next year. But um, yeah, it was wasn't a great night for us. Um, but and also being, I, I meant to say, also being English, you you, I was thinking. Was recording. Um, I've recorded with uh, with Mike for the defensive line preview, and um, as I was thinking, as I, I was sort of thinking, you'll be able to if you don't enjoy my talking um, as much, and you want to switch off when I'm talking. I've got a really great drinking game for you, which is to it's to drink when I slip into an American accent because there are now words that I can't say non English. So. Like I was thinking about J.K. Dobbins for this episode, and I was thinking he's got really good processing, but I, I, I really should say processing. So I'm really excited <laughs> watch this. But that's that's awesome. Kind of no, I love it. I love it. And man, when I started writing for Russell Street Report, I ran into that problem where um, when I because I'm a policy analyst for work, so when I, I like I obviously write Canadian spelling but i kept running into this issue where when i'd write my articles either my editor would want to kill me because i'd spell the word wrong or my boss would want to kill me because i'd spell those words wrong and so it just becomes a mismatch of uh anyway so today we're jumping into the running back group for this preview um we're going to run through the personnel how things could shake out look at a couple of the key features um running back's a little bit of an interesting beast this year because um I, I, there's not a whole lot going on in terms of addition. So we're going to throw this up. Let's take a look here. We got JK Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill back. We have Tyson Williams back, who was with us uh, last year on practice squad. And of course we have Pat Ricard back as the fullback on the UDFA side. We only have one new addition and that's Nate McCrary. Uh, we're going to get into him a little bit later. Uh, not included on here, which some people may be wondering where it is. I do not have Ben Mason. We are going to get into that later. So it isn't an obvious omission. We'll get into later why. So, you know, where I want to start, this is one of the position groups where we're probably not going to see a whole big competition for the starting role. And that's simply because of the running back rotation that we've seen the Ravens use in 2020. It was a lot of Dobbins and Gus towards the end of the year. And 2019, it was Ingram and Gus. And, you know, it was kind of where in 2019, Ingram was a bit more of the lead back, but then Gus would kind of come in as a change of pace. And last year, Ingram was still kind of factored in, but it was a little bit of a different approach. And so, you know, where I want to start, because, you know, we're not necessarily debating who's going to really be these top two guys i think we know it's going to be dobbins and gus so rather than that let's let's take a look a little deeper into it so how do you think they'll roll out dobbins and gus compared to last year yeah i think it'll be really interesting this year to see how this position shakes out as, uh, and, and like you say with the with the usage of, of dobbins and gus i think um 
the, the one thing that really stood out to me last year, I think, was the way Dobbins, um, Dobbins' understanding of the scheme progressed as we went through the year. And I think it will only continue to, to progress too. We've heard him talk about how important he feels that is. And actually, um, I think there was a change in coaching at Ohio State during his career there. And he sort of, it sort of clicked for him and he got the scheme. Still putting up a lot of numbers before that that click as well, um, but I think we might see a change in usage some in some ways with regards to that possibly, and we'll get probably get into this later possibly with a slight change in the scheme as well. Um, but I think it can it will only be natural. I think that he'll start his mental processing uh, is so good that I think he will start to to understand the scheme more and be utilized more because of that. Yeah, and you made a good point because, and I, we are going to get a little bit more into schemes specifically, but uh, specifically when Dobbins was at Ohio State, um, they were they were very uh, they were very varied in their in, in play calling, and that's kind of similar. Uh, when I when I went back and watched this tape, I was like, well, this is good because that's what he's going to see with the Ravens, you know. And I know every team is kind of doing a lot of these you know, varied approaches. No one's just doing one thing or the other, but you know, Ohio state really seemed to mix it up the way the Ravens would. So that was always exciting to me coming into a Greg Roman offense where, you know, you are going to, you're going to see inside zone, outside zone duo, all that kind of good stuff. And what I think gives Dobbins a big edge towards being a feature back is the fact that he can kind of do everything and you know Gus has developed that we talked about that uh when we had you on after the Gus extension but you know Gus is still developing his ability to kind of be more multi-dimensional whereas I think Dobbins has a bit higher potential in that aspect yeah I, I, so I I thought the same as you that Ohio State really that really varied their offense um and uh I'm gonna I'm gonna quote PFF in a second, but let's let's put aside like not about Dobbin specifically, just the data because that's the stuff that's usable. <laughs> but I think um, what what I thought when I when I looked at when I looked at uh, Dobbins this year, I think what I what I started to see was a bit of a pattern emerging for me that saw his zone when we called zone, he was much more comfortable and it was and it was borne out I think in the yardage that that he got you know, like the, the result that he got from zone runs was was much more positive in his in the gap runs that I, I could find on tape there were examples um where he didn't just didn't quite he, his his vision in zone really plays up it doesn't play up as much in, in gap and so I went back and looked at the his usage at Ohio State and he actually had so he he uh I've lost the <laughs> he had 528 zone plays zone runs versus 189 gap runs and that's according to PFF so I let's like it might not be great numbers those but that's what that's what they say so I I think that that does tell you that he maybe wasn't I think what I'm trying to get to is that you're right. His skill set overall projects to being a feature back in any scheme, but his immediate scheme fit would like if he was going to contribute immediately day one to the level that he might be able to, that he, I think he'll be able to contribute eventually. It would have been in a more zone heavy scheme. Um, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And that's kind of uh, a, like that type of ratio, maybe a little bit less so, but it's something you do see with the Titans. Cause that was one thing that surprised me when I, when I got into the Titans 
before we played them, I found in 2020, they, they ran more gap concepts than we had seen in 2019, where it was a lot of stretch zone. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing with the Cleveland Browns that when, you know, they kind of nailed down their offensive line, which is a very, very good offensive line and they're very zone heavy, but they still have those gap concepts worked in. And that's kind of what I meant at the start of like, you know, everyone's kind of doing a little bit of varied. I just think the Ravens do a lot more varied where they don't really have a dominant concept. So, you know, and how, how do you see, uh, like, you know, we talked about it before, but in case some viewers missed it, like, what did you see from Gus Edwards in 2020 that, you know, really spoke to that kind of step in development that he took? Yeah. I, th I think the, the step that Gus took was, was it a, a, like, I think for me it was a it was a patience. He he always had this shit the shiftiness to him that that was that was really helpful. I think what he learned, and again this is this I think is what comes with running backs the kind of understanding of the scheme, getting those live, getting more and more live reps. He he just knew much better how to set up his blocks um, and was taking advantage of those with with real patience. And then what, when you do, do when he was doing that. That, that shiftiness, and he has enough explosion and enough top speed to be able to take advantage then of that. And I think that was, for me, was the main difference, was he just he just seemed much more comfortable. And especially, I mean, he was especially good in gap, uh, on gap runs for me. Um, I think me and you both have said before that we kind of underestimated him a little bit, thinking it was a bit more um, because of the zone read offense. But actually, when you see... Even in even in you know runs where it's it's gap and it's not zone, you, you are seeing Gus Gus sort of play a lot better. Absolutely, and I think the big thing is now that like I do expect Dobbins to take more of the snaps. I expect him to have more rushes on a on a typical game, but we're still going to see healthy doses of Dobbins or of uh, Edward, sorry. And you know the Ravens have made that no secret. When you pay a guy, you like the guy, and they gave him a couple years and they gave him pretty good money, so it's it's very exciting. And I think what really makes me feel good now is when Edwards comes into the game, it's not just going to be a lot of veer reads, right? Like it's, it's, they can now run just about any concept with Edwards, whereas they didn't necessarily seem to feel that comfortable doing so in 2019. And the stats speak for themselves. I mean, he, he had a very high average uh, yards per carry and I had a graphic and I don't have it in front of me right now, but when you broke it down by, uh, option concepts versus zone concepts versus power concepts. Um, it just wasn't his average on option concepts was something like seven yards per carry. So it really inflated his overall average, which is fine. But like we've said, and we talked about in our previous episode on the Gus signing, his ability to develop his effectiveness in those other two areas, it not only opens up the play calling possibility, but it changes the way the defense has to prepare for when he comes into the game. And that is invaluable. They can't do things like the charge mesh to kind of, you know, make Lamar keep it and then um, bring, bring down like a, a safety or a corner to, to try and challenge Lamar. We saw that quite a bit at the end of 2019 where they were trying to kind of combat or uh, Edwards effectiveness. So I think that's going to go a long way in, uh, in, in really helping the entire offense take a step forward. And uh, actually this would be a great, a great point to jump into it. So we've talked a lot about the varied scheme, you know, we're going to see veer, we're going to see zone, we're going to see gap. So, you know, what I want to ask is how do you see their run scheme evolving even further with the current group? And is there any sort of concept that you think could emerge a little bit more than what we've seen the last two years? Yeah, I, I, I do. I do think the scheme will evolve. I, 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 I 
think I think um, Greg Roman is always looking to <laughs> to add more uh, running plays to his playbook. Um, I think um, I think you will just see. I think well, first of all, I do think you'll see more zone, and I, um, I also think you will see continued increasing effectiveness on the veer, and I think the and especially the inverted veer. And I think the the reason for that is um, so I, talking about the veer specifically. I feel like with Justice Hill. They, they were looking for a speedier back that people would have to respect on the inverted veer. And I think while Justice has lived, like not necessarily lived up to the expectations I think they had of him, and we can talk about that a bit later, um, Dobbins, you know, has that explosiveness, that, speed, that top end speed that you have to respect on that veer. And I think we then started to see more of those inverted veer concepts have much more success. Um, and it got to the point where, you know, when you can have that, you, you can't, you, like you said before, it takes away the defenses, ability. they they can't just, they can't just make Lamar keep it. They can't just make, they've got to defend a lot more. Um, and, that, and I think we'll see more of that, but I, I specifically think the, the main thing we'll see some more of is, is zone, is zone concepts. And I know you want to speak to that. Oh, I'm so excited. I, if this could be the time where the Ravens could really hit down on the emergence of the inside zone concept, I think it's going to go so far in taking the pressure off of everybody in the offense. I think if you can run an effective inside zone with the way their current scheme is going, it just creates easy matchups. And then if teams want to do the, basically what we saw in Buffalo where they're like, let's just attack every gap. Well, your zone is, is automatically creating numbers games. It's meaning all those backside defenders are a lot less important. And it kind of takes away that second layer of the defense where if you can get a one combo block into the second level, and you've committed more defenders horizontally to cover those extra gaps, like we saw with man blitzes, it just opens up more down the field. And we saw it in Cincinnati, that uh, that 83-yard Dobbins uh, touchdown run that he had, that was inside zone. And I think uh, I'd have to check Mike's numbers. Mike charts like a madman. I think we had less inside zone in 2020 than in 2019, but it was more effective and I think it was almost like we ran half as much last year. So it really went away. We were very gap heavy. We were very uh, counter heavy. And well, at least in the latter part of the season. And that and we used a lot of outside zone, but we have to remember that outside zone and the path of the running back helped set up that counter. Because that, that's really what was pulling defenses that allowed those seal blocks to come back the other way when we'd run the counter bash. And so you know, those concepts are obviously going to still be there, but, you know, maybe they become more of home runs, whereas we kind of started using it going into the playoffs as like a core concept. And that really surprised me. And it just, you know, when you, when you're pulling two uh, linemen to go block, it just opens up ways for guys to shoot the backside of plays. And I think that's kind of what the bills and even the Titans did quite well in the playoffs. So if you can get, them to kind of if you get the defense to start attacking that way but then you can run a really effective inside zone and, and kind of open up those lanes it's going to lead to some big gains because they're committing second and third level defenders horizontally to cover gaps and and this is the thing with dobbins that if you if you go back and you and i've gone back and watched the, a number of his games the number of the all 22 on his games and this this is he has plus plus vision and he has outstanding burst and explosion. And when you combine the vision and the burst, and he has the mental processing ability he has, he 
he picks cutback lanes better than I've ever seen in in a college prospect when I watched him coming out. And then I've seen it translate just not very much um, uh, in the in the pros because we didn't we didn't we didn't utilize him that way. We didn't have those that many plays as you mentioned. So I think like you bring that in, you're going to see even more out of Dobbins. I think um, because that just plays up to his strengths massively. Absolutely. And I think because I want to make sure we're showing Gus love because, you know, it's not just going to be the Dobbins show. But I think the very fact that we've seen that type of development out of Gus with his vision and his ability to kind of develop himself in zone concepts, it's, you know, he has that same type of explosiveness. It's not necessarily on the same level. They're not the same type of player, but he's still an explosive runner. And when he explodes into a cutback, you know, he he, he takes off and he, he can, you know, have enough wiggle to make you know, maybe those fewer second, third level guys miss that kind of creates that big thing um, or a big run. And so I think it just, it makes a ton of sense when you really look at it that way. Yeah. And when you've got two backs like that, that are so versatile like that, because you, 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 how do you prepare for that as a defense? Like you, you, so you see the offensive line, take, take a, take a zone step and then you can read for that. But you've, you've, you've absolutely no idea really you know, you, you could say if you're running two running backs like that and we and you know Gus is Gus is predominantly gap and Dobbins is predominantly zone, you can start to play it, but we can literally run a 50-50 split um and it won't it won't affect the effective affects the effectiveness. That sounds like yeah, it won't affect the effectiveness of the play, I don't think. Yeah, no, and that's one of the things where everyone's like, we need to pass more, we need to pass more. I'm like, nope, I need to see how these run concepts are gonna are gonna work themselves out. Cause uh, I mean, it is so fun to watch, you know, for as much crap as Roman takes with uh his ability to use pass plays to set up other pass plays, his ability to set up teams with run plays and the way he used outside zone or uh well outside zone to set up the counter bash, like it was a thing of it was mastery and you know you were just sitting there waiting for that counter bash to come out and then you know Lamar's splashing it for touchdowns on all four NFC East teams like it was freakish and so that's the thing where if they can kind of get more of those core concepts that they can run effectively and you know don't discount the way inside zone can lead to some nice bootleg type plays um that sort of thing so you know I think they could do more I also think they could maybe run a little bit more under center it's something that they just haven't done. And so I wouldn't say that it's a prediction, but that possibility comes out a little bit more too. Yeah. Um, just getting the, the evaluator out of me a little bit. So um, a couple of other things to touch on, I think with the, with the two of them, just to, to talk about their strengths a little bit, um, especially Goss, I think, who has become a really competent pass protector and receiver out of the backfield, I think is a very underrated part of his game. Um, I think Dobbins is a really interesting perspective on those two fronts because I think again he is developing on both those fronts. Um, in at Ohio State, I, I felt he had some trouble sometimes IDing rushes, um, um, and he has got better in that in that regard. I think he's still not quite IDing danger very very well. I think he needs to improve on that on that angle. I also think that as a as a receiver, and this is where PFF really dings him is is as a receiver it's why they they have him rated so low because he did drop a, a few balls this year so i went back and looked at drops from how many drops he had over college he never had more than two in a season because i do remember him i do remember thinking this this kid's gonna like he wasn't catching a ton of balls at ohio state but they weren't asking him to and when he did he looked fluid in routes he looked like he had natural hands i i don't think i think the problems he had this year was 
was honestly just a was a concentration and basically a looking you could even see it on some of his catches he was looking upfield before he'd secured the ball absolutely he still managed to catch it but there were times when he dropped it too so yeah mike and i pulled all of his drops uh so you know we're very lucky we have uh at yoshi 2052 at our disposal who is a walking ravens encyclopedia so make sure you're following him if you're uh if you're not for some reason uh so i reached out to him i was like can you hit me up with every spot where dobbins had a missed target then you can use the play descriptions to find the drops so we went back and watched them i should have done a video on it and we kind of meant to and we didn't get to it but you know when you're looking at someone that drops a lot of balls and I'll use a guy that I, I scouted really closely when he came out and that's uh, uh Butler out of, uh, Oh, what was it? Uh, he ended up going fourth round to the Cardinals. He's now a tight Hakeem. end Hakeem Butler. And so I was able to, and you know, I had to ask around cause I don't know a whole lot about wide receiver uh, technique in terms of actually catching the ball, but you could see issues with his technique where he was not, putting like he was not setting up his triangle well enough to catch the football. Yeah. That is not the, there's not structural problems with how JK Dobbins tries to catch the football. No. So that's not the issue. It's not technique based. Burchard Perriman also had technique problems and he also had concentration problems. So you could use Perriman as a nice example of how to break down all the different types of drops you can have as a receiver. <laughs> and so, you know, I was able to kind of look at Dobbins drops and you're, you're bang on. There were plays where he was looking up the field there's a play where he's just staring right at the ball and it just hits his hands and drops. So, you know, either he has stone hands, which I don't think there's a big enough sample to say that I, you can go back and watch his college. You, he has pretty soft hands or you're like, it's a rookie. He hasn't figured out how to kind of put the mental part together. And so we'll find out this year, but I feel quite confident in predicting that he's going to make a bigger impact in the passing game. Yeah, I, I think so too. You know, he caught, I think he caught 20 to 30 balls each year at Ohio State. Yeah. So, that, and I, so you've got a sample size there to go and look at. And it, it yeah. doesn't, I, I think his hands are fine. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that kind of leads us in now because, you know, we've talked about the top two guys. We know these are going to be the top two guys. I don't think anybody else sitting around on the on the running back group are challenging them we'll take another look at them so we have justice hill returning he's been our rb3 for two years um he hasn't been able to make a major impact but he has you know he hasn't necessarily been bad when he's gotten in the game he's had some splash runs he has that elite speed you know when they drafted him uh in 2019 and they had ingram and gus i was like I'm blown away he had the best 40 time of all running backs in that draft class i thought it was a nice element to add but a bit more of an explosive runner smaller guy but he had that kind of deep speed that we might want in a in a home run runner uh so you know what do you think about justice hill vis-a-vis tyson williams and nate mccrary is there an actual competition for that that third running back spot does hill just walk away with it you know tell me about some of the things you know about williams and mccrary and how they could threaten hill yeah so i think um so the first thing full disclosure nate mccrary uh was sag out of Sagnor valley state so i did not watch nate mccrary going into the draft um and i found it very difficult to find any tape on him so um I, he's a bit of an unknown um but I, I do think there, I do think there is a battle that will go on between Justice Hill and Tyson Williams. Um, I really liked Tyson Williams coming out, um, and I, I, it comes from I think from my kind of want to go and like find unearth gems, which is I think is kind of why we all love the draft. Yeah. Tyson Williams was uh, for anybody who doesn't know, he was in North Carolina. Uh, he transferred out to South Carolina. 
and then he transferred to BYU because he couldn't win a job in North Carolina and South Carolina. And then in, when he was got to BYU, he showed why that was absolutely nonsensical that he couldn't win a job <laughs> because he was really good for a month at BYU and then he tore his ACL. So you've got just no kind of real sample on him. So it is a big it is a big if about whether this whether this kid can play. But in that month, you you did see a, you did see a really good prospect, and and clearly that's he fell to the to the to be undrafted because of because of those 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 difficulties, and because he was then coming off a torn ACL as well. But what you saw was you saw vision, you saw balance, you saw him run with a low pad level, you saw him finish, like you saw everything that you wanted to see. And he has he has NFL running back size. So I do, and coming off that torn ACL without a training camp last year, um, I do wonder whether he is going to factor in a little more. And the reason I think he's going to factor in a little more is is because of what I talked about before. That I think with Justice Hill. They were looking for that speed element, and I and I think it was about how the the whole offense fit with 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 that speed element. And I think they get a lot of that from Dobbins now. So I think there'll be a battle, but it's based on a couple of things, which is at, like what we cannot not take into account is Justice Hill's ability on special teams. Um, and yeah, yeah, no, I just want to throw it out there because I think it's it's it has to be the X factor. And you know, I'm looking at the numbers right now. He went from. Uh, 16 games suited up in 2019 where he played 97 special team snaps. And then he had only 12 games played in 2020 because of a few inactive games and he played 192. Uh, so, you know, four less games, but over a, or just a, under a hundred uh, more special team snaps. And we specifically saw him carve out a role as a gunner. And so that's really what, so, you know, tell me a little bit about that. What did you see from him as a gunner? I mean, as a gunner, he's just, he's, he's, he has that speed, you know, I think it's four, three speed he has. So, so he has that already. Um, and as a gunner, you just saw, you know, outstanding competitive toughness. This guy is competitive as the day is long. He's aggressive. Um, he was so disciplined with his lanes. Um, and I, I, he has surprising tackling ability for a running back. So, I do, I do think that that will that is going to that is clearly going to factor into the play. But I thought the reason that I think it will be more of a battle was actually the the flirt that they had with Todd Gurley and may still have with him, which te which tells me that, and this is something MC said to me before, which is that you know maybe they they feel I, I felt like Justice Hill was a very good special teams player. If they feel that he's a good special teams player, they may feel that they can replicate that production elsewhere. And what they want is a more complete running back um, that could potentially step in if there are injuries higher up the depth chart. And that might be what they're looking for. And if they're looking for that, that that will mean there's a battle with Tyson Williams. I think that's that's got to be the, the big thing. Because, I mean, I can't think of too many, at least in the rate, I don't follow special teams on every team, but I can't think of too many former running backs that kind of had that type of role. It's, it's, it's a little bit more rare. Usually, you know, they're your middle guy on the punt team where they're, you know, providing protection and then taking on pursuit lanes, but not necessarily as the gunner. So it doesn't necessarily mean that Hill can't, you know, continue to do that job. They're going to, but it, it, it's more like they're going to have, they're gonna have to weigh those it's gonna be you know if we use a db as a gunner instead of hill and as a byproduct we get someone who's a bit of a better running back to be the running back three provide that type of depth in case we do suffer an injury you know that's the calculation that they're going that's going to go through their head so you know and we do have some strong special teams guys on that uh on that uh 
defensive back group like they brought back harris the kid out of uh who came from to us from the broncos who was an absolute him and him and hill were both mad men on those uh got like they're just flying with reckless abandon i was concerned for their safety but uh it, it was uh it was kind of nice because you know we we've gotten away from chris moore chris moore's long gone he's no longer going to be the gunner on the team but uh you know, I, I I could definitely see there being a balance, or a, a, it's not a balance, a nice battle there with with Williams for being an actual uh, RB three. And you know, I'm like you, I haven't been able to see Nate McCrary, so I'm not going to sit here and blow smoke up anyone's butt about his. But he he has some really positive reviews coming out of uh, not not only. OTAs, but some of the some of the guys that did get the pleasure to watch him play in college. So, you know, if if there's ever a spot where they're going to have a guy on offense on the squad as an undrafted free agent, you know, it's it's always like linebacker on defense and maybe a running back on offense. So, you know, I definitely don't discount it. That's for sure. Yeah, I agree. And uh, so looking at the last piece of the running back group, so people are going to be wondering, Cole, why did you not have Ben Mason as a fullback on the, it's a great question. So I really am looking at Ben Mason in year one as a tight end three competition guy. And that's just simply because I will be shocked and floored if they keep three or three if they keep two fullbacks it's just going to be very hard for them to justify now if i am the ravens trying to get that out there it's going to be where he's a key key special teamer kind of like we've seen with a jordan richards or you know uh not so much well anthony levine lately because he hasn't been playing too many defensive snaps in the dime like he did in the in the previous years but if he's able to carve out that role and technically be fullback too but i can't see a spot where he's not going to be in as like a tight end move tight end h back sniffer that type of role so you know how do you see it what do you think happens is pat ricard in any sort of jeopardy for a roster spot yeah, no, no is the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> I almost didn't want to ask the question. <laughs> and if he is, I, the, um, it's going to be like the Simpsons gift with pitchforks and fire, <laughs> fire stick. Because um, I love Pat Ricard. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, I, 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 well, you, nobody will know. I don't think I've said this in it. Although I think I wrote a piece, no, I did write a piece about Ben Mason before the uh, before the draft where I said I, I played I fullback. Um, so I'm, fullbacks are very very fond in my heart um but ben mason i think the thing for me is uh, people have to remember so I, I actually the piece i wrote actually sort of said i think we should maybe draft ben mason with the with a final pick uh, and people need to remember he was the final pick of the draft for the ravens yep. so you've got to put yourself in the Ravens' shoes and th- they like yeah they they could have traded back to get ben mason they did not need to take him there and we can maybe have the argument that he should have taken they should have taken some offensive line help but if you are if you do want ben mason with the last pick of the draft do you trade back and and take an offer from to trade back from the late fifth to the late sixth and you maybe get like a sixth next year or a fifth next year or do you just take ben mason and not not like not worry about track maybe they didn't get any offers maybe they just wanted to secure their guy he plays so much like a Raven. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, and you do have to think about the, the succession plan behind Pat Ricard. So I did think that there was a chance that they would take a guy like Ben Mason. And the, the, like I said, the way he is, he just, you know, you find my piece. He just, he just plays like a Raven. He's great. 
But I, I think very much like you that this, as we've talked about this before, I think this is a classic broken nail to IR situation. Like it just seems like that because I don't. I think they took him in the draft because if you if you put yourself in his shoes, would you would you sign as a UDFA with the Baltimore Ravens, knowing that Pat Ricard is entrenched in that roster? I don't, I'm not sure you would. I don't I think you can. But yeah, no, yeah, yeah. And and like I have seen him on tape do some very. Uh, you know, varying things in terms of, you know, be going in motion, being a sniffer. And those are all things we, we see Ricard line out, uh, lined up split out and then motion in as a sniffer. Like they're going to be able to, if Ben Mason is on the team and they are actually using him on the field with Ricard at the same time, whether you want to call it 22 or 13 or whatever the heck you consider him for personnel. Good luck, Warren Sharp, on figuring out how you're going to classify that because I don't really know what you call him. But I, I see him more in that role, whereas he's not going to be more. And I mean, like, even if you look at Nick Boyle, sometimes Nick Boyle motions into the backfield where a fullback would line up. So yeah. when I say I see him as a tight end three competition with Oliver Breland, uh, Eli Wolf, uh, don't know if I'm missing, but that kind of group, we're going to be talking about the, about the tight ends here soon, but you know, I see him factoring more into that competition or he is your core special team guy, like a Jordan Richards, like a now present day Anthony Levine, where he doesn't necessarily, like he's not on the team specifically for his fullback abilities but because he's a game day activation if he is a special teams uh specific player it does mean they could use him on a handful of snaps and very versatile ways and you know the very fact that they could run out a 22 pack or yeah 22 package where you know you have Boyle and Mason as your your tight ends and then you have Gus and Ricard lined up but then you're also putting a speedster like Hollywood out, out wide like it's gonna it could it could lead to some actually interesting uh abilities I one question I did want to ask specific to Mason and uh you know this kind of plays into the tight end episode but I'm very curious to kind of hear your thoughts what are he, he only caught three balls at Michigan so we don't have a big sample size but when we look at those three balls you know what could we expect from him as a pass catcher I think what you can expect for him I the way I described him was he's um He's he's like the middle path between Ricard and Juice. I think you know he he doesn't the the thing that's ironically the thing that's missing for him actually is the kind of prototypical fullback size. Yeah, I mean Ricard maybe has reset the prototype, but he isn't actually that big. Um, so you you don't know yet whether he's like the competitiveness, the aggressiveness, the, even the technical ability as a blocker. He ha he has. So I, I, you you feel pretty comfortable translating that. You don't necessarily feel as comfortable translating him as a as a receiver. Um, he does have you, you you can see him run more routes than when he can, than than balls he catches. Um, but I think the thing that you really can't project you can't it's unfair to project him in that sense is because he moved around an awful lot at Michigan. They 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 moved him onto the defensive line earlier in his career. Like the, which parallels with with Ricard, I love he's it. Great. And I I think you're right in that it will be it, he if he makes the roster this year and he's not on IR, I think that will be that will be where he makes the roster is as the tight end three, uh, and it will be a philosophical decision, like you said, about a different type of play calling that they make 
you know, because but I actually personally I don't think he will make it as a tight end three because I think they will feel that they need to get a third tight end that that produces in the passing game in the same way that Hurst did. Um, or maybe the investment at receiver makes them feel like they don't need to do that and they don't need to find that as much anymore. So it'll be interesting to see, but with you, I'm kind of with you, I think, on this. Yeah, I think this is where we kind of see the, the different approaches you can take for those last kind of four or five, well, maybe three, four uh, roster spots where they are kind of more dedicated special teamers. And yes, they have a position and they'll still kind of play that position. Like we still saw some of those special team specific guys play at their normal position, whether it was, you know, due to injuries, you know, running down the clock, that sort of thing. Um, so I wouldn't discount it, but, you know, I don't fully, I don't expect to see Mason out there playing a whole lot of fullback while Ricard sitting on the bench healthy. It just, it wouldn't make sense. They paid Ricard. They love Ricard. I love Ricard. You love Ricard. Everybody loves Ricard. So, you know, that's how I kind of see it shaking out. But, uh, you know, this was an awesome preview. You know, we're trying to keep these kind of short and sweet. You know, I, I love how we just kind of dove through the whole position. Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, you know, any sort of, you know, if you had to guess right now, who's going to be your kind of running back group, let us know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I feel like it's, it's, um, it's, it's Dobbins Edwards. I, and I think it's, it will end up being Hill and, and Ricard. I, I think Tyson Williams will push him close and the preseason games will be really key this year. We didn't have them last year. So it'd be really interesting to see how Williams performs and maybe McCrary emerges as well. But I think Hill's special teams ability will probably just edge them out because he, I think he was better than good. Like, I think he was very good as a gunner. So I think that's probably ultimately what will keep him on the roster. And he's, and he, like you said, he didn't let himself down in the, in the passing game. Sorry, you wanted a short answer and I gave you another long answer. But before we finish, let's just, let's just appreciate how ridiculously good Pat Ricard is and how unbelievably athletic this guy is at the size he is. It'll be really interesting next season to see if, like, if we can pay him because I'm not sure anybody's going to value him the same way that we do. Not the fans, the, the franchise. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And this this is a very Pat Ricard friendly uh, podcast. He's uh, He doesn't know it, but he's a friend of the program because uh, <laughs> he, he's he's my kind of guy. Like the fact that he plays two ways, he's a blue collar. He's just, he's when people are like, what's play like a Raven mean? I can just send them a picture of Pat Ricard. It's literally <laughs> him. So awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out to join J- join us today, James. Uh, you can find James' work on his website, redstarbaltimore.com, as well as his work being done on russellstreetreport.com. Uh, that's all we have for you today. We're going to be getting into a couple more positional groups before we switch to the defensive side of the ball. So stay tuned for that. Also, take the time to drop it in the comment section below who you think is going to be our running back group going in. Do you disagree with us? I actually completely agree with James, but let us know what you think uh, down in the comments. Be sure to like the video if you're enjoying this series and of course, subscribe so you can find your way back. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Peace out.